Welcome to another edition of Live Free Austin. John Bush here, Central Texas, the command center, along with Jason Rank. Good to have you again. Thanks for joining us. And really just excited to say that um, based on the recent election, we are all going to be very, very free in this upcoming year. That's right. It reminds me of 1994 all over again. I That's can't right. wait. The party of small government, the party of limited government, the party of liberty and freedom, as historically demonstrated by all of their small government and personal liberty expanding policies, the Republicans have swept into power. So we're very excited about that, but we're actually a little concerned that our show might go off the air after only three episodes. Because we obviously don't need to convince people or talk to people about what it means to be free anymore. That's right. If we could just go back to the good old days of George W. Bush, the spending levels then, I think we would see a, a you know dramatic reduction in the size and scope of the state. And, and since that's what has been promised by the GOP pledge uh, by John Boehner you know, himself. pledge makes me feel so warm all over. I, my cockles are warmed by that <laughs> pledge. And now we're going to get to see that put into practice. Mm-hmm. And uh, Everything's going to be okay. That's right. Go back so, to sleep. That's right, people. Uh, watch American Idol. Continue to uh, pay attention to the latest sporting event. And don't worry about politics because the Republicans are in command. And, you know, one thing, this is kind of interesting. You know, uh, I was having a conversation this week on Facebook. I get into these. Facebook. Yeah, do you get into these Facebook debates? All too often. You know, I was. consuming. You know, it's a time sucker. And and sometimes it's with people that I vaguely know. (laughs) And I, I always resist. And then every once in a while, I get drawn in. They suck you in. It does. And it's it's Tractor it's unavoidable. Beam. And what sucked me in this week had to do with foreign policy. Ooh, it's a big topic. And it is. And it is. Well, it's a topic that's Costly been forgotten uh, in the midst of the economy in a lot of ways. I mean, the foreign policy in the war was the big issue uh, for the 2008 elections. Terrorism. Right. And then Terrorism. it just sort of vanished, right? And... So well, we got terrorism to, still an issue. Well, terrorism is still an issue. Back to the wars that are going on. Th- that's right, and and you know, but this has been something that's sort of been on the back burner a little bit, I guess, with the economy. And so there was this uh, foreign policy discussion going on, and uh, I think it was here's what here's what the vein of it was was how the Democrats are not out there, you know, picketing against the war. As much, or even at all, since Obama's gotten into office. The Have you noticed that? anti-war movements largely died out. Cindy Sheehan's still out there going strong, but she's been dogging uh, the Democrats and Barack Obama as well. Yeah, so there are a few holdouts who are, you know, in their convictions. They're very uh, consistent. But by and large, the Democrats, uh, the Democratic Party co-opted the anti-war movement, made it the Vote Democrat movement. Mm-hmm. And now that Obama— Literally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, so— now the the anti-war movement's kind of faded. And so what this conservative friend of mine was saying on Facebook was, you know, the de- how despicable it is that these progressives used the war to gain power and now they don't care about the war. Interesting. Right. And got into this debate about how really the Democrats while they are being inconsistent, wouldn't you agree? Of course, always. I mean, they're, it's their they're, job, right? They're, they're, they're incons- for the little guy, yet they, you know, sell out to the big guys, right? The and, big and banksters. And the war is is kind of not their big issue anymore. And and then and they're they were in power, and so I said, yeah, that's definitely hypocritical. But Republicans have used the war 
for political purposes and, and use the military and, and the soldiers uh-huh. for political purposes. To expand the executive, especially. Yeah, exactly. And they forget that, well, you know, the next time around, it might be a Democrat holding that office. We might not be in favor of the power that we were just loathing over when it was our guy that was expanding it. Yeah, and they use the fear tactic. They're always playing the fear card about how we've got to, you know. Well, they got people bringing soup on planes now. Well, I know, I know, and, and you can't have that. And I just Related to that, that was our TSA riff last week, if you didn't catch that, about how my soup got confiscated. Ah! But I saw an article today about the guy, the TSA worker who um, had, he was, he was like planting fake cocaine on passengers. Wow. And, uh, Sounds like the CIA. As a joke. He was, you know, people were going through. This is an article I just caught today. Uh, this happened a little while ago, but this guy's finally, I guess, I don't know if he's going to trial or what. I don't think he is. He got fired by the TSA because people were going through, and then he'd say, uh, is this your vial of white powder? Wow. And people would be like, no, that's not mine at all. I don't even know what it is. And he's yes, like, it is. no, I know. It's actually mine, you know. And he was joking. <laughs> and I feel safer. Yeah, right. I yeah. feel safer now. That's so right. my question was, are they going to? treat me as well as this guy like this guy's not facing criminal charges they just fired him now if i play a joke in the security line you know uh is how's that gonna go over not very well no i'm, I'm pretty sure i'm gonna be get the taser take him to guantanamo the immediately taser, guantanamo so we're getting off get off track here but the track back to guantanamo yeah right it all leads back to guantanamo <laughs> but the the fact is is i was talking about this foreign policy issue and it, it ended up coming up in the conversation this conservative said well we need to kill the enemy before they kill us mm, preemptive war right and somebody else chimed in and was like, that's my new favorite quote. Yeah, kill the enemy before they kill us. Put it on a sign. Ah, so, so, you know, what I started to ask myself and what I started to think about was, you know, we talk about the philosophy of liberty here. And what we talk about is the philosophy of liberty on an individual level. And that is all about, you know, I own my body. I own my property. I shouldn't have anybody aggress my person or property Mm-mm. with violence. That's the non-aggression principle. Not an individual or a government. That's right. We expand it to the government level. We don't just say that's all, that's all good for the individual. And your neighbors and stuff. Yeah, because think about this philosophy of kill the enemy before they kill us. How would that play out on a personal level? Hmm. If, if this good. same conversation was happening about a neighbor that you thought could possibly be a potential threat at some point in the future, just whack them. <laughs> it works for George W. Well, well, but the question is, is, is do, would that be a would would that be a psycho way of it would going be about? Immoral. Conflict resolution? Even if you had the rest of the neighbors or the town newspaper uh, working as hard as they could to convince you that he possessed a a lawnmower of mass distraction, that he wouldn't just cut (laughs) out that dang racket. Yeah, preemptive uh, preemptive strikes are are, are terrible, and we have uh, good old uh, George W. to thank. Before his papa, H.W., actually, it came out in the form of the Wolfowitz Doctrine in like 1992 or 1993 when they were trying to push for these same military incursions. 
incursion into Iraq, and they got the same military incursion. They were trying to have preemptive strikes. However, they had to have Kuwait invaded first, but now we see it as a regular practice, on, on and everybody's calling for it. Yeah, it's the preemptive. It's we've got to take out these rogue nations or dangerous nations before they have a chance to do something to us. It can only be sold if it's if there's fear along with it as well. Right. Or else the people won't go for it. And and what we're saying here, number one, is that doesn't play out on an individual level. Like you can't just go out there and indiscriminately kill any other individual you think might eventually at some point pose a threat to you. You can only defend yourself in the midst of aggression towards yourself, right? Yeah. That's not a society that I would like to live in. No, really. I mean, that sounds like a recipe for World War III. If every nation adopted the preemptive strike mentality, what would happen? Because are there not certain nations that perceive us as a threat? Mm -hmm. So do they then also have the right to take a preemptive strike against us? I'm just saying. Many would say that's what happened on 9-11. However, we've been involved in the Middle East, our Central Intelligence Agency especially. Yeah, certainly. And so this is an interesting question. The other thing I, I was thinking about is a lot of conservatives on the gun issue, and we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago too, talk about how gun violence goes down when individual citizens are armed mm-hmm. and able to defend themselves. It's a deterrent against attack, correct? Oh, yeah. But when it comes to nations, that same philosophy isn't applied because what what conservatives in America want to do is disarm every other nation in the mm-hmm. world, but yet hang on to all of our military might. Yep. One step further, the United Nations wants to disarm every nation in the world, including ours, and turn it over to a one-world army, the next step. Right. So that's just individual disarmament. You know, that's a, that's just banning guns on a national, uh, on a world level, really. And you would expect the same result. What would happen? Whoever possessed the guns would have the power. Would have the power. And anyone who was willing to break the law, you know, would still have them. Anyone who is honest and law abiding wouldn't. Same thing applies for nations. So isn't it possible that the best scenario would be for all other nations to also be armed so that we all know that it's not a good idea to attack another nation because they have the capacity to retaliate. Mutually assured destruction. Yeah, and isn't that kind of, I mean, we don't want to get into the Cold War, but isn't that kind of what was going on there? I'd prefer all the people to be armed of each nation. Well, Hopefully that's no true. standing <laughs> army, no standing tanks and uh, naval battleships, and maybe we could calm things down just a little bit. Well, and I guess the point is, is that, you know, it's about consistency yep. on on these issues of liberty. All and about consistency. All that sort of thing. Well, you know, we just kind of started into this foreign policy issue, but we are going to talk a little bit more about this question of what is what does it mean to be a conservative, a Republican, a libertarian? Talk uh, some about the elections, some things that went down this week in the elections. Very interesting turn of events. Uh, I think we're going to give analysis you're probably not hearing anywhere else, so I want you to stick around for that. It's Jason Rink and John Bush with Live Free Austin, and please hang around with us. Have you ever wondered if the news is telling you everything there is to know about important current events? Well, so do we. We're Brave New Books, Austin's own fiercely independent bookstore, located at 1904 Guadalupe Street, one block south of UT. Interested in that book or video that you've heard about from your favorite talk show host? 
more than likely we've got it in stock. Give us a call at 480-2503 or visit us at bravenewbookstore.com and let Brave New Books help you read between the lines. More energy, stronger immune power, improved sense of well-being. How many supplements have you heard boast of these benefits? The team behind Shentrition believes that supplements should over-deliver on their promises. And Shentrition does just that. Shentrition utilizes the ancient healing wisdom of Chinese medicine in conjunction with the science of modern nutrition. Adaptogenic herbs serve as the healing component and organic hemp protein and greens and superfoods act as a balanced nutrient base. Plus, Shentrition tastes great in just water. This powder supplement is everything you'd want in a product and it's all natural. Visit Shentrition.com to order yours or call 1-866-497-7436. After you use Centrition, you'll believe in supplements again. Welcome back to Live Free Austin, and we're living free in Austin today, aren't we, John? On a daily basis. Every day. And what we have now is we have our featured guest, and this is Jacob Hubert, and he's an attorney and a law professor in the Ohio area. He's also the author of a great new book called Libertarianism Today. And what we wanted to do was was bring Jacob on to talk a little bit about libertarianism, give a little insight into some of the things that just recently happened with the elections and, and that sort of thing. So, Jacob, thanks for coming on with us. Sure. Thanks for having me. Hey, you know, this idea of libertarianism, I think, is, is very confusing to people because there's a lot of people out there sort of jockeying for that banner. You've got Glenn Beck, who's sort of the self-proclaimed libertarian. I love Glenn Beck. Yeah, don't we all? And he's on this station, so... Uh, the and, big uh, And we love him. Uh, but no, Glenn Beck, he says he's a libertarian. Ron Paul, he runs as a Republican. People call him a libertarian. Rand Paul gets accused of being a libertarian, but then not libertarian enough. You got Wayne Allen Root. I mean, you got a lot of people who come and fall under this banner. So can you, in, in 60 seconds or less, sort of define the essence of what a libertarian or what libertarianism is? Well, sure. The essence of libertarianism uh, is non-aggression, is the idea that people shouldn't be able to get together and use government to use, to uh, enact violence against other people. And so to the extent that someone favors using violence uh, through the government to make other people do what they want, they're not a libertarian. And so uh, that means if you favor taxation, well, that's not libertarian because you want to take people's money by force. Uh, if you favor war, uh, that's not libertarian because you want to use uh, violence to kill and maim other people in other countries. Uh, so you really need to judge uh, the person's views but, but according to whether those views would entail uh, letting people peace, peacefully uh, interact or uh, violently imposing upon other people. And in most of these people, at least the Glenn Becks of the world who are calling themselves libertarian uh, don't really favor that. They favor government doing all sorts of things. They don't, they don't want to abolish taxation. They don't want to uh, put an end to all war. Uh, they don't want to uh, completely end the war on drugs that interferes with people's rights to uh, peacefully use what they want. Uh, so that's, that's the criteria you really have to use. Do they favor uh, using violence to get what they want? 
Yeah, uh, that's a very good definition. And going back to what we were speaking about earlier, um, I think one of the things that this Tea Party, which has some very strong libertarian strains, is missing, and I believe it to be one of the most important issues as far as libertarianism goes, or living in a free society, and that's the foreign policy and these aggressive wars. I think that's one of the big libertarian tenets that's getting left by the wayside. Do you think there's any, now that we have this uh, you know, Republican majority uh, that has a libertarian strain with some of the grassroots uh, folks that got elected, do you think there's going to be any strides towards a more free society, smaller government that we're going to find at the federal level? No, I really don't think so. Uh, I don't think there's enough of these Tea Party candidates, even if they were uh, principled, to overcome it. Most of them aren't going to stay principled. I mean, to most of them, principled doesn't mean what it would mean to me. I mean, they're not libertarians. Uh, they do favor a continued, even expanded war. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when the issue of war with Iran comes up, it's hard to imagine any of them, uh, maybe Rand Paul, I don't know, but it's hard to imagine any of them voting against that. And that just means more spending. It means going to be more uh, infringements on liberty uh, at home, and and none of them uh, oppose that sort of thing. They all they all favor big government in the form of the warfare state, which means they ultimately they're going to favor big government in general. And as for all the other stuff, what are they really going to cut? What do all the Tea Party candidates agree should be cut? Well, not much. You know, they'll talk about pork projects or earmarks or whatever. But that's just relatively trivial compared to the warfare state and the welfare mm-hmm. state, and they're not going to touch those things. Well, and it's interesting you mentioned that because if there is one thing that they're kind of in agreement on, it's like repeal Obamacare, but replace it, you know? And, yeah. and Republicans, yeah, Republicans presided over the largest expansion in federal health care programs, mm-hmm. you know, previously with Medicare Part D and other things. So, yeah, they, they don't have a lot of credibility there. And it's interesting. You do something in, in your book that I think is really interesting. You, you, you tip a sacred cow called Ronald Reagan. Don't go there, uh, yeah, no. please. But he's being held up as sort of the ideal legislator, basically what the Tea Party wants to get back to. Even Wayne Allen Root, who's one of the most recognizable figures in the Libertarian Party, calls himself the Reagan Libertarian. So, I mean, Reagan <laughs> wasn't a Libertarian, but he wasn't really a small government guy that people make him out to be, was he? <gasps> Well, no. I mean, government grew under Reagan. It didn't get smaller at all. Uh, and the, um, the the deficit, the national debt got much bigger. Uh, military spending got much bigger. Uh, these programs like Social Security didn't go away. Uh, there was no real monetary reform, as Reagan promised beforehand. Uh, Reagan didn't reduce government at all, and these people were taken in by it. And it really was harmful to the libertarian cause, because all these libertarians went over to the Reagan side and weren't opposing the government anymore. Now they liked government again because supposedly a good guy was in charge of it. And that's the danger with these tea parties, too. People think, okay, well, we, we elected the right people, and now we can, we can like the government to the extent that those people are in charge of it. And it doesn't work that way. You have to oppose the government no matter what, because if you don't, the government will always, always expand. And you mentioned the, um, the Obamacare thing. We're going to repeal Obamacare. They won't repeal Obamacare. I don't even think they'll take any substantial te- steps towards repealing Obamacare. That'll never happen, because these politicians never repeal anything, and this will be no exception, Uh, which is why, by the way, libertarians need to just advocate extremely radical changes to health care because those are just as likely to happen as the repeal of Obamacare. You know, if we're going to have any change in the right direction, uh, it might as well be radical change. If we're not going to get the moderate step anyway, there's no sense in even advocating the moderate step. 
What's your uh, opinion on this continual partnering of libertarians and conservatives or libertarians thinking they can get the message out through conservatism or conservatism claiming to be libertarian or striving to be libertarian? Can you give us maybe a little bit of a history of that and if you think it's going to be effectual towards the cause of building a more free society? Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's going to be effective at all. If you just look at what ha- what's happened over time, it, it just it hasn't been effective. It's been terribly ineffective. Uh, you know, you have people associating libertarianism with Reagan, and, and that was a total failure. I mean, Reagan did not limit government. He made government bigger. He increased respect for government, respect for the warfare state, uh, and and so that was a failure. Then you had hope again in the 1990s uh, when the Republicans took over Congress, and although they did enact uh, welfare reform with Bill Clinton's help. They didn't re- reduce government overall. Government got bigger. Uh, it, you know, libertarians, I heard lots of libertarians in 2000 talking about how much better uh, George W. Bush was than Al Gore. They have it on good authority from their libertarian friends in Washington that, no, George W. Bush, he's actually, he's a good guy. We should be happy he's getting in. And, you know, look where that got us. Uh, so, no, I think it's totally futile to try to uh, ally ourselves with conservatives uh, or with liberals uh, except, you know, maybe you know, there's a handful, a tiny handful of maybe more paleoconservative types, types you see writing in the American Conservative magazine, for example, and a tiny handful of liberals who are consistently anti-war and anti-centralization. Mm-hmm. There's a handful of people on those two extremes of the left and right. But when you're talking about the broad run of conservatives, including most Tea Party conservatives, there's just no hope there. The only hope is to turn people to a true anti state mentality, a true political atheism where they don't believe in government anymore. They don't want to just fix our broken government, take government back. They really oppose it. And the conservatives fundamentally do not oppose it. They love they love the government ultimately, and and that's a fatal flaw. Well, you know, and, and this brings up an interesting point because so you know, libertarians shouldn't shouldn't partner with the Republicans at, by and large. Maybe on individual issues and 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 with liberals on individual issues, but not by and large. But is the Libertarian Party really a viable political entity? You know, I personally thought 2010 would be actually kind of a banner year for Libertarian uh, Party candidates because of that anti-incumbent mood and the Tea Party thing. And yet, it, it's looking like the results are pretty much the same. Sometimes even lower for Libertarian candidates in this 2010 election, and I think a lot of that had to do with probably so many independents went towards the Republicans because they just wanted to kind of put a tourniquet on what's going on in Washington. But uh, the question is, is the Libertarian Party, do you see that as a viable political force? No, not really. I don't think it was. It was never really intended to be a political force. Uh, The reason the Libertarian Party was formed was to simply introduce people to libertarian ideas. Uh, Back then, especially in the early 1970s when it got started, people only paid attention to politics once every four years and there's a presidential election. So the way to get through to them was to run a presidential candidate um, so you could have a voice and and get some attention and get libertarian ideas out at least a little bit. Um, I don't know how well that's worked. I think every four years, some new people are introduced to libertarianism because of that, and that's fine. Uh, But as far as winning any elections, it's just absurd to think that that's going to happen Uh, because, I mean, most Americans uh, are not libertarians, even close to being libertarians. So you're not going to win any elections until they are, and you're going to turn them into libertarians over time, slowly through education, uh, if anything. 
And so running all these candidates in the meantime, uh, really I don't think is going to do much good. I mean, you know, you might cause some trouble in good ways here and there by spoiling elections and, and maybe making the Republicans at least have to pretend to be a little more libertarian here and there. But uh, overall, I, I don't think it does much good. And it maybe even sometimes does some bad as when you see the National Libertarian Party because they're so they, they want to All right, Jacob, we're coming, up on a, we're coming up on a break. Uh, Lit Free Austin, we're going to pick up where we left off. Uh, sounds like Jacob's even questioning the notion of the need for a state. Lit Free Austin, keeping it consistent. We'll be right back. Live Free Austin, Jason Rink, John Bush, moving and grooving, rocking and rolling. We're chatting with Jacob Jacob Hubert, author of Libertarianism Today. And we were chatting about the Libertarian Party, the role of the Libertarian Party. And one of my favorite libertarians and philosophers is Murray Rothbard, and he wrote a lot about Libertarian Party strategy. And one of the things he pointed out is where you were going, I think, uh, that the purpose of it is to educate the people. And if we are going to be educating the people, we might as well spit out some radical libertarian Libertarianism, and uh, what do you think about that role and how the National Party are, are they still sticking with these libertarian roots, or are they kind of you see them shifting these days? Well, it seems like they're pretty inconsistent about it. They may have taken a turn for the better uh, relatively recently, but uh, just a short time before that, they took a turn for the worse. Uh, you see them, you know, they ran as their candidate, Bob Barr, a conservative Republican congressman, uh, formerly in the CIA, uh, for the, as their candidate. And that has nothing to do with libertarian education. You know, they thought they were going to, I guess, do better at the polls, but what's the point in doing better in the polls when you're not going to win anyway, and your purpose is to get an educational message out, and your candidate isn't consistently delivering that message, uh, it just seems to completely defeat the purpose of even having a libertarian party to do that. Mm-hmm. What you might as well do is uh, put a radical message out there uh, so people can at least consider that. Because if you just look like the Republican Party light, people might as well vote for the Republicans, because at least the Republican will have a chance of winning, whereas your guy doesn't. And so uh, it just it, there's just no point in running anything less than a radical libertarian candidate. Well, and, and I think this also talk, you know leads us into the idea that this also also has to do with localism because you know the focus a lot of times is on these federal large elections i mean in local offices and even at statewide levels libertarians have achieved some success they have been elected in these smaller races um so you know i think there can be an argument made for that but when it comes to you know the level of i guess governor um you know and congress and above i mean we really haven't seen you know, libertarianism succeed in in those areas. Uh, so I think that's that's a point well taken. And, and and here in Texas, again, we just saw Rick Perry gets elected. You know, by overwhelmingly, a, overwhelmingly. That's a mandate for freedom. That's right. And I was interested in seeing Bill White get elected just because he said he was going to move into a mobile home if he did get elected. <laughs> you know, he was the Democrat, which is interesting. But Kathy Glass was the Libertarian Party candidate, and you know, I don't. I think that. You know, I don't think that she embraced the more radical tenets of the Libertarian Party. and, and She might as well have been running as a Republican, right. unfortunately. Well, one thing I want to—I kind of want to leave, leave off with is you make this um, distinction in the book, Libertarianism Today, about how 
You know, a lot of people have this misunderstanding that if you're a libertarian, that means you want to smoke pot and you want to go to prostitutes. And you make a distinction that libertarianism as a philosophy doesn't bring with it a certain ethical, uh, you know, code that means you have to endorse the certain activities that you want people to be able to do voluntarily. Can you sort of expand on that idea? Yeah, I mean, libertarianism, people, for some reason, expect it to be a complete moral philosophy or something, but it's not. It only has one moral component, which is you can't use violence to get what you want from other people, even if you get together in government and do it. And other than that, uh, you know, your morality, it comes from your religion, your personal philosophy, or whatever else you have. And people are libertarians because their other philosophy uh, is consistent with that. And you could be a libertarian and be a Christian or be an atheist or whatever. All that matters is you don't care about using violence uh, to get what you want from other people. Uh, kind of a related concept is people think that libertarians are selfish, that it's part of libertarianism to, you know, want to grab everything for yourself and not let anybody have anything of yours. But that's not a part of libertarianism at all. Uh, libertarianism is, is the opposite of selfish. It's, I don't want to use violence to get what I want from you. And, and all I ask is that you don't do that for me. It, it couldn't be any less selfish in that respect. Uh, so it really only uh, pertains to to one aspect of things, as opposed to some other philosophies, like you know, conservatism maybe does embody other values in your life, and, and Marxism is a complete philosophy of life. But libertarianism is like that. It's just about the proper role of government. Now, uh, conservatives also have a lot of faith and belief in the free market, a free, unhampered market. Um, and as you were hinting to earlier, questioning the need for a state to provide services like justice or defense, are there any opportunities or any people that have explored the possibility of the market and private firms providing justice, providing defense, uh, and providing these services that many people think uh, only a government monopoly would be able to handle? Yeah, there has been some good writing on that. Um, the economist Hans Hermann Hoppe has a good uh, essay on that called The Private Production of Defense. Uh, in fact, he has a whole edited book called The Myth of National Defense that relates to that. Also, um, the economist David Friedman's book, The Machinery of Friedman, uh, Freedom, uh, talks about that sort of thing. And, you know, obviously, it's pretty theoretical, and it's hard to, it's hard to know in the absence of government what kind of security services would arise uh, just because it's hard to know what the market's going to provide in any area. It's hard to know what uh, electronics the market's going to provide in five years or whatever. So we don't know exactly how that would look, but there are reasons to believe that the market could provide defense services, security services, uh, just like it provides everything else, and do a better job, just like it does with everything else. With competition. Well, hey, Jacob, yeah. we really appreciate you coming on today. And if people are interested in picking up your book, Libertarianism Today, or, or just uh, finding out more about what you're doing, where can they find that out? Uh, well, they could go to my website, which is jhubert.com. That's J-H-H-U-E-B-E-R-T.com. Uh, and there you can find links to my book, Libertarianism Today, and uh, read my articles and everything else. All right. And Libertarianism Today is getting some amazing reviews. I've read it. It's, you know, up there with, you know, Murray Rothbard's For New Liberty as far as being able to lay out the philosophy of liberty. It does it in a very understandable way. It's a very good read. I challenge you to pick it up. And Jacob, we really appreciate you coming on today. Thanks a lot. Sure, thank you. Have you ever wondered if the news is telling you everything there is to know about important current events? Well, so do we. 
We're Brave New Books, Austin's own fiercely independent bookstore, located at 1904 Guadalupe Street, one block south of UT. Interested in that book or video that you've heard about from your favorite talk show host? More than likely, we've got it in stock. Give us a call at 480-2503 or visit us at bravenewbookstore.com and let Brave New Books help you read between the lines. More energy, stronger immune power, improved sense of well-being. How many supplements have you heard boast of these benefits? The team behind Centrition believes that supplements should over-deliver on their promises. And Centrition does just that. Centrition utilizes the ancient healing wisdom of Chinese medicine in conjunction with the science of modern nutrition. Adaptogenic herbs serve as the healing component and organic hemp protein and greens and superfoods act as a balanced nutrient base. Plus, Centrition tastes great in just water. This powder supplement is everything you'd want in a product, and it's all natural. Visit Centrition.com to order yours or call 1-866-497-7436. After you use Centrition, you'll believe in supplements again. Welcome back to Live Free Austin. This is Jason Rink and John Bush. We're here every Saturday from 3 to 4 p.m. on the Big Talker 98.9. And we want to cover a little bit of local uh, national news uh, regarding the election, some other things. Um, What happened with the Prop 19 out in California? Well, unfortunately, it was narrowly defeated. 47% of the people voted in favor of it, 53 against. And, of course, Prop 19 was an effort to decriminalize marijuana entirely in the state of California. Uh, it had a lot of big backing, $2.4 million uh, to, to spend on this effort. Uh, George Soros, the billionaire hedge fund uh, manipulator who was behind old Barry Obama, he actually tossed a million dollars into the mix. And, unfortunately, the... Citizens of California said no on on decriminalizing. Apparently, they they want to have a you know a natural plant uh, allow you to have your freedom taken away and life ruined in many instances. Well, that's interesting, especially how uh, progressive that that California is laid and out to bankrupt. be. Bankrupt. Well, yeah, this was a big revenue generator mm-hmm. uh, potentially for the state of California. So, uh, but a pretty close. It was close. Vote when you really consider it um, on this type of measure. So I saw a study. They said that uh, most of the money was going to be saved actually on um, no longer using law enforcement for the purpose of you know regulating marijuana use. So I think that's pretty interesting. They have a lot of drug war measures that cost a lot of money, and they would have saved billions and billions of dollars on that. So that could be a lesson to a lot of different states. You know, to, if you're if you're struggling, which California of course is, pull back. Uh, on some of the enforcement on these more minor and less violent laws. Additionally, all this EPA and climate change nonsense that's being pushed, boy, if we were to legalize hemp uh, and use hemp production for anything from plastic to fuel, then it would certainly do a lot to uh, ease some of these global warming scares. Well, what's kind of interesting on the point of saving money on law enforcement, you know, what you typically find is with these measures, some of the biggest opponents to these types of, of measures to decriminalize are the prison unions mm, and the law enforcement complex. unions. And why is that? Well, because it means 
fewer jobs. It means elimination of positions. So you've got this tension where it's not in the best interest of necessarily the state and the state economy mm-hmm. um, in the liberty of the citizens um, for this to be shot down, but it is in the best interest of some special interests, which happen to be the law enforcement people. So, uh, again, just a problem that you find when you've got the state monopoly over some of these things and then and then the unions and the, the lobbying influence. Mm-hmm. So um, It would have driven the price way down. It would have disempowered much of the drug cartel activity that we see affecting us on the border. So decriminalize and the drug war entirely and a lot of problems. Crime will go down. There won't be as much gang activity surrounding the trade of marijuana. And look, the, the point here isn't whether or not you smoke marijuana or not or mm-hmm. want to. The question is whether or not the state, uh, the government, should criminalize or penalize people for— Inflict violence upon right, them. It, right, exactly, for doing something to their own body, what's essentially a victimless crime. I mean, in this society, should we be free to live as adults? And if we make good or bad decisions, whatever they may be, should we be able to reap the benefits— or pay the consequences personally? Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, when we're dealing with nonviolent crimes, uh, such as marijuana, I mean, this is really a question of personal liberty and no the proper harm, role no of government. Yep, yep, very nicely put. So additionally, we had some local races. A lot of focus is on the national scene and uh, the battle between the GOP and the Barry Obama agenda. But a lot of people often overlook the importance of local elections. And unfortunately for me, a uh, lowly small-L libertarian... A lot of the times my ballot, both down ballot and at the top of the ballot, doesn't really uh, come out victorious on the other end. But I don't feel like a loser because I'm principled and stand for freedom. But thankfully, one of the people that I voted for this time around actually got into office, and that's Melissa Goodwin. And she was running for the uh, third court of appeals here in Texas. She's a wonderful lady. She's a Ron Paul-style Republican, so we know that she's going to deliver some good uh, justice, no uh, judicial activism. Maybe we might see uh, some civil disobedience or some uh, case work her way up through the courts and and some rulings can get overturned because a lot of the judges around here seem to always vote against the Constitution. Uh, Also, somebody else that we were supporting I didn't get to vote on, Jason Isaac outseated Patrick Rose. He's a state rep uh, in the Dripping Springs area. And Patrick Rose actually pulled some sneaky tactics and managed to uh, add this uh, amended bill, Senate Bill 1440 last time. It was a Texans for Accountable Government, TagTexas.org, pushed back on uh, this bill that would have allowed the Texas Family Protective Services to gain access to children and conduct interviews, get access to their records without a court order or proper due process. And it was Patrick Rose that pushed that. There was a lot of people opposed to it. So I think there's a lot of people, especially in Dripping Springs area, we have some friends that are really happy Patrick Rose is out of there. Yeah, that is a victory right there and a victory for parents' rights. Definitely. You know. Um, well, what about this uh, governor's race? You know, Rick Perry, he he has this enormous victory. and uh, I love Rick Perry. You know, do you think that, I mean, do you think his seat was really ever up for, uh, was that really in jeopardy? I mean, we've got the Republican, uh, you know, all of the Tea Party momentum that was going mm-hmm. to the Republican Party was working in his favor. Texas is a, typically a conservative state. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Really, the only time I think Rick Perry's seat was really in any jeopardy was uh, when Deborah Medina was running against him in the primary. got him scared, blasting him um, in the debates especially. But uh, so what does that mean for Texas, do you think, that Rick Perry's got another term? Is he positioning himself for a presidential run possibly here in the future, do you think? Well, he did attend the 2006 Bilderberg Group, which many obscure governors take part in. That's a meeting with the world's leading financial heads and media moguls takes place every year. It's completely private, and Bill Clinton attended uh, shortly before he came president, I think back in 1992. So he's got that position, plus him and Perry are close, a Perry Palin ticket we might see, but I don't think anything is going to change for Texas. It's getting floated out there. So Texas will still be uh, under conservative Republican rulership. He's grown government exponentially in the past 10 years. He's not conservative. He touts these big job growth, but unfortunately the job growth is in the public sector, which isn't good for the economy because, of course, the public sector derives all of its profit and its money and all the paychecks from we the people, taking away our productivity. He's not a conservative. And I guess this goes back somewhat to the argument that, you know, typically the Democrats, again, typically grow government at one pace, which is is generally faster, right? And uh, the Republicans grow it at a slower pace, and it's it's a little bit more leisurely. They are not in a as big a hurry to get to their destination, which is still as much concentration of power in the hands of the state and federal government as possible. Mm. Um, and in these races, many times, uh, the losers uh, are the people. Um, Oftentimes, and not, their wallets, not really the candidates that, that don't win. It's really the people, no it's matter how point. that goes. So, uh, so that's what's been going on. Um, I mean, there are some interesting things on the national scope, and I'm sure. I mean, this has been talked about all week long by this point. But uh, the Republicans have have taken the House. The Senate is still, uh, you know, they didn't manage to take the power in the Senate. Um, I personally think this is. On one hand, I think it's a good thing in that it seems like maybe it's going to be more difficult for anything to get accomplished. Divided government. Inefficient. And I'm all for gridlock at this point. That's right. I'm, I'm all Libertarians for, like gridlock yeah, and inefficient and, government. You know, but the truth of the matter is, is that the founding fathers made it, you know, uh, Thomas Jefferson, I believe, has a quote where he says, you know, a Republican government is slow to move, uh, but when in motion, it's irresistible, you know. And part of what I think he, w- he would have talked about it or would have claimed was that, you know, the Republican not as in Republican Party, but a republic, that form of government, it's not supposed to be easy to get big, sweeping changes done. Like the health care bill. It's supposed to take time. It's supposed to be difficult. The constitutional amendment process, that's supposed to be difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason is, is because those type of changes aren't supposed to happen every day. And so our legislators have been in the habit of sort of you know, circumventing oh, that yeah. process to make those changes, and they're doing you know, different types of legislation that happen very quickly. So what we want to see is, I think, two years of nothing happening. Nothing at all. Right. Rolling back, reduction, sweeping reforms. Right, and then uh, maybe in the next two years we can continue to educate the public more about the philosophy of liberty. Nullification. Exactly. If they don't do it in Washington. We have the ability to do it here at the state level, as our guest Thomas Woods uh, taught us earlier. Right, and and maybe we can just continue to have an impact. All of us who believe in in liberty and freedom continue to have an impact on the people in our sphere of influence, people we work with, people in our neighborhoods, our families, what have you, to continue to move the debate towards what freedom really is, what mm-hmm. liberty really is, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So uh, we're moving into a break. What we have up next is 
author Jacob Hubert. He wrote the book Libertarianism Today. Uh, going to get his insights on libertarianism, uh, the Libertarian Party, the recent elections. and uh, So stick around with us on that. And uh, we appreciate you joining us today on Live Free Austin 98.9. Stronger immune power. Improved sense of well-being. How many supplements have you heard boast of these benefits? The team behind Centrition believes that supplements should over-deliver on their promises. And Centrition does just that. Centrition utilizes the ancient healing wisdom of Chinese medicine in conjunction with the science of modern nutrition. Adaptogenic herbs serve as the healing component, and organic hemp protein and greens and superfoods act as a balanced nutrient base. Plus, Centrition tastes great in just water. This powder supplement is everything you'd want in a product, and it's all natural. Visit Centrition.com to order yours or call 1-866-497-7436. After you use Centrition, you'll believe in supplements again. Have you ever wondered if the news is telling you everything there is to know about important current events? Well, so do we. We're Brave New Books, Austin's own fiercely independent bookstore, located at 1904 Guadalupe Street, one block south of UT. Interested in that book or video that you've heard about from your favorite talk show host? More than likely, we've got it in stock. Give us a call at 480-2503 or visit us at bravenewbookstore.com and let Brave New Books help you read between the lines. And we're back. Live free Austin, living freely, loving freely. Jason Rink, John Bush, rocking and rolling. Free love, Moving and grooving. Yeah, man. Peace. Prop 19. Oh, man. (laughs) So, uh, of course, every week we have the wonderful Facebook comment of the week. Yeah. (laughs) Can we record that little... Diddy. The jingle? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're still running on a skeleton crew here, people. That's right. Uh, but if anyone wants to record our Facebook question of the week, Diddy, and mm-hmm. submit that, please do so. A little jingle in the background. We'd be happy to hear, happy to play that for you. So what was that? What was our Facebook question of the week? And now the Facebook comment of the week. Yeah. Live Free Austin Facebook question of the week. Now that it appears the GOP will take control of the House, do you think we will see a reduction in the size and scope of the federal government, or will we see 94 all over again? So, some of the answers, and I think the Facebook comment of the week for the question of the week came from uh, Reagan Desolates, and she said, no, no change. And then shortly after, she posted again, I take that back. They may be some changes, but it'll just be the interest that change. Which lobby groups get their bullies rubbed? Which lobby groups get their bellies rubbed, so to speak? The government will not shrink, though. Well, and and the lobbyists are the bullies, right? That's right. the bullies <laughs> who get their slip. bellies rubbed. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what the consensus is for uh, a number of people out there. Mm-hmm. I think even people who voted the Republicans in. I think a lot of them are still very skeptical. Mm-hmm. I think there's not a whole lot of change. Um, there was one commenter on here who I think is trying to provide a local solution, uh, and he says, John Bush for mayor. 
<laughs> so uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, oh, I don't think Our John has formed an exploratory packed. committee yet. Uh, but if anyone wants to head that up, that'd be uh, that'd be pretty funny. Donate here. That's right. And uh, you know we uh, we've got uh, another Facebook question of the week. We'll float out there uh, this week sometime. Please go to our Facebook page. It's Live Free Austin. Um, you know, participate in that site. Uh, our website is livefreeaustinradio.com. That's where you can direct people to the podcast. Yeah, and I think one lesson to take away from this Facebook comment of the week, question of the week, is that it doesn't end at the ballot box. So now it's our job to hold these elected representatives accountable, hold them to their small government, limited government uh, mandate, and let's start reducing some government. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is only the beginning. <laughs> beginning, beginning. We're uh, you know, I do want to mention one of our sponsors is the Foundation for Free Society. The Foundation for Free Society is an Austin, Texas-based nonprofit organization dedicated to the education and and uh, empowerment of individuals on the philosophy of liberty, how to live a more free and prosperous life, the message that we uh, put forth here at the uh, Live Free Austin radio show. Uh, the Foundation for a Free Society's website can be checked out at myfreesociety.com. Uh, also, want to mention, uh, just moving towards next week, um, we have a special guest next week. His name is Robert Murphy. Now, he's an economist, and everyone normally says that's the dreadful science or whatever it's called. I don't know. But Robert Murphy is a very interesting guy, very funny guy, and he's written a book called uh, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Capitalism. And uh, so we're going to have him in talking about capitalism, uh, maybe some myths about capitalism. You know, capitalism gets a bad rap a lot of times uh, because people tend to associate that with something which is more better known as corporatism, Mm -hmm. uh, which is sort of the... Unfair playing field that many corporations uh, are favored by corporate welfare. And so we want to talk about capitalism and free markets, uh, talk to a a noted economist about that. So join us next week for Live Free Austin, 3 to 4 p.m. on Saturdays. Uh, We'll have Robert Murphy. We'll have our Facebook question of the week. And we will be promoting the message of freedom and liberty, helping you to live a more free and prosperous life. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. 